This podcast is also part of a pod course, which is available for credit on speechtherapypd.com. All you need to do is register for the course, complete the requirements, and you will receive credit. Speechtherapypd.com is a video continuing education company, a certified ASHA CE provider. More than ever, I am super selective on how I spend my time, whether it's choosing which emails to read or how I get my continuing ed units. I want value for my time and efforts. I'm Shar Beauchart, and I bet you can relate. So when I say I get my CEUs from SpeechTherapyPD.com, just know their speech-language videos and pod courses are practical and totally worth it. And right now, you have the exclusive opportunity to pay less for the subscription than I did. <laughs> okay? Memorize this discount code. It's SHAR, C-H-A-R. Just go to SpeechTherapyPD.com, subscribe, and at checkout, type in what? SHAR, C-H-A-R. You get a $10 discount for heaven's sakes. <laughs> Do it now. It doesn't take long. SpeechTherapyPD.com. You and your speech kids will be glad you did. It's time well spent. Welcome to The Speech Link. I'm your host, Shar Beauchart, and I invite you to listen and learn practical strategies from experienced experts to take your therapy to the next level. It's not often in my life that I want to go back and be a kid again, but I would love to be on the receiving end of Lorraine's creative and imaginative stories. She tells and sings and generates participation with her storytelling like no one else. It's safe to say that she's a master children's raconteur. That's a great word. Embedded in her stories is a deliberate teaching method. And kids learn. Listen closely to the inspirational nuggets she shares along the way. Get your pencil and paper ready and take good notes. <laughs> Here we go. Today, my guest is Lorraine Maida. Lorraine has been in education for over 35 years, and her experience spans a broad range of roles, including speech-language pathologist, special education teacher, administrator, university instructor, national presenter, and educational consultant. Currently, she's an adjunct faculty member at Central Washington University and a guest lecturer at the University of Washington in the Department of Communication Disorders. She's also the author of a series of story scripts and extension activities that emphasize developmental storytelling to teach early oral and written narrative. They're called Sing Me a Story. I love that. Developing oral narrative skills through storytelling, puppetry, music, and movement. But most importantly, Lorraine has used these stories and other techniques with a lot of students. Lorraine has presented at hundreds of training opportunities related to educational services in the schools. And in full disclosure, Lorraine and I met on the road doing seminars for the Bureau of Education and Research, and always the SLPs would come out of her seminars totally excited. And I'm so very excited to have you with us today. Welcome to the Speech Link, Lorraine. Well, Shar, thank you very much. And I am so pleased to be here today because we're going to talk about my favorite topic, which is storytelling with um, very young children and how to engage them regardless of their language levels. And so it's a pretty exciting topic for me and I hope for the listeners. 
Oh, I know it is. And I'm excited too. So Lorraine, you are speaking with us today about how to adapt. And I love that word to adapt. We're not just reading stories here, but you're adapting children's literature to build or encourage oral narrative skills through developmental levels of storytelling. So we're using literature and storytelling and involvement as a vehicle, it sounds like. But first, to get us started, I do want to know about those developmental levels, because that seems like an important foundational piece. Well, it is. And probably um, everything else I talk about is based upon that. Um when I look at the literature on narrative structure, both microstructure and macrostructure, and I can talk about that a little later, um, and I look at children's literacy progression, uh, pre-literacy developmental progression, it all kinds of comes together into basically four levels, but um, it can be expanded to five. And so when I look at children and I look at how am I going to present a story or how are they going to participate in a story, what vehicles am I going to use to tell the story, I think about the children that are going to participate, whether it's one child or 18 children, how can they all be involved and t- and we lay that story out and tell it in a way that makes sense for the level, the oral language level that the child is at for processing a story, um, telling a story, participating in a story. And so those levels go from a very beginning level of, hey, I'm not asking you to do anything except listen and motor respond. Because most of us know that language different children, and I say that because the strategy of developmental storytelling works probably best with English language learners um, more than almost any other strategy other than robust vocabulary development. So I'm going to use the word language different because we don't always know in really young children exactly what's going on. But here's one thing I do know, um, that when we involve children with preliteracy and stories and narrative, that it's not a um, spectator sport. Otherwise, <laughs> I'm not making much progress. So I do ask that as the children participate, I'm going to say something and they're going to give me a motor response. And sometimes that's an assisted motor response. Um, I'm not going to Right at the outstart here, I'm going to say that when I do whole classroom storytelling, I'm not doing it by myself. There's usually a teacher and a paraprofessional involved, a teacher and a parent, a parent and a paraprofessional. There's three of us at least. And sometimes typical peers that I pair up with some of the children and we let the story play out. Sometimes... um Children are the audience and they learn what that means so that some children are just comfortable at that point, perhaps chanting or watching the story play out. But nonetheless, they're doing something that makes them a participant. That would be that first level. Or if I say, um, and Papa Bear drank from the big size bowl, I might say, so Papa Bear drank and there's a motor response. They drink or someone helps, assists them in drinking if they're playing the role of Papa Bear. The second level is a child's recognition that something 
is true or not true in the story. You know, did the house fall down? Is the house broken? Yes or no? Um, the next step would be that ability to answer who or what, some simple WH questions. Now, when I say answer, I also involve children on, you know, big red switches where they're hitting it for yes or they're hitting it for a single response. Or I have children on more um, sophisticated voice output where I've programmed a page for a particular story. Um, so it isn't always a verbal response. And then that next level, after you understand who, what, where, and you can actually process that, then you become pretty good at telling a part of a story with assistance. And this is where adding rhythm and music become very important in this therapeutic kind of storytelling. Because from the very beginning, they're hearing very key pieces of a story told repeatedly using a particular rhythm or song, music, chant, so that by the time they're telling the parts of the story, they can rely on those pieces they've heard. You know, I'll go back to the three bears and they lived in a house made of bricks, bricks, bricks. And we say that over and over as we sing the story. And later on, I say, where'd they live? They lived in a, and the child will say, a house made of bricks. Um, they've been given some structure, but they can use their earlier developmental levels of who, what, and where to then lay upon that particular pieces of the story. Um, and of course, there is a fifth level, which is being able to narrate the story if you have the visuals in front of you um, and with some teacher assistance to be able to narrate that in the appropriate sequence. So those levels aren't clear cut in kids. We know, you know, when you assess narrative structure that you'll find kids in between. Um, they'll have pieces of Yes, they can answer some who and what, but they, they really aren't getting the yes, no. Uh, is this part of the story or isn't it? And, and that all depends on what the child's language difference is and where they're at. But you can pretty much rely on those levels as, although there might be a scattering of skills, they do follow in that order. And that's pretty much the order that we see when people who look at print literacy talk about children's literacy relative to processing printed stories and books. Um, I tend to go beyond the printed book um, and look at all different ways to present a story. I do use the book, but to be able to present a story in ways that lends itself to those levels um, is really important. And I think in very young children who struggle with sequence and temporal issues and the who's, what's, and where's of things, to see something play out in three dimensions, whether they are the characters or we use props, is very helpful, particularly children who don't have the attention span for a book. So that by the time we have told the story in various ways and then we open that book up, it's familiar. And with familiarity, 
you have a little more stamina to um, participate with the printed book. So that's what those levels are about. So are, is this written down somewhere? Is there a chart? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's in, if you, if you take my workshops, which are offered through Speech Therapy PD, it's in all the handouts. Um, if you go to my website, which is www.greatlearningnow.com, um, there's a lot of storytelling information there from narrative structure rubrics, which pretty much follow that order, um, to other storytelling pieces. So it's out there and we can access it from you either via the videos or just on your website as well. Okay, that's what I wanted to know. And then, Ashar, through my website, if people had questions, if you go to my website, it says contact Lorraine, and that's hooked directly to my email. So I always say to people, if you want to email me a question or something, and I don't have to give a whole workshop, right. I'd be happy to answer your question. If I can answer it in a few sentences, direct you to somewhere, that's just great. I'm happy to do that. Thank you for that. All right, well, let's jump in because I know that everybody wants to know how do you do this and what are the parameters and what do you do? And, you know, there's there's such a span here. You have your four or your five levels, you know, just I'm going to say, why don't we pick like level three or four, you know, somewhere in there and let's dig in. So what do we need to do? We need to analyze the children and what they are capable of doing and what they need I'm assuming. And then we need to get a book and decide on what we're going to do. You know, what, what do we do first? Okay. So one thing I want to say is if the students are in a classroom um, with a teacher, and I'm saying that because sometimes children show up at a clinic and the person that's most involved with them is the parent, then that conversation would probably take place with the parent. But um, I tend, I'm in the schools and so I always remember that there is a teacher teaching the whole literacy component. And so they know those students as well as I do. Um, but there's pieces we both know differently or we look at through a different lens. So at the very beginning, when I'm going to pick out stories, if I'm going into that classroom, I want to plan that with the teacher because well-planned storytelling means that teacher can carry out things at other times when I'm not there. I don't take full responsibility. So my, and they become very quick meetings with the teacher once you get this down. I go in and I say, um, okay, you know, maybe, maybe they have themes or whatever, but I pick stories. So maybe I'm going to pick, oh, uh, Pete the Cat story. At where Pete steps in all these different foods and his shoes turn from blue to red to purple. And I like that one because there's another piece to this that isn't just the levels of storytelling, but Pete the Cat stories lend themselves to social skills. And so that's a piece if I, I want to bring up again later. But let's just start with we have the children in the room. I meet with the teacher. We talk about how might we best present this the first time. And I say, well, you know, you have three children that are going to hesitate 
to participate. You have one child who's a behavior issue. And behavior challenges are for a lot of reasons. Um, But let's say we have a behavior, an oppositional child. Three other children who are just shy and aren't wanting to participate. And the biggest problem with them is that if you just present the story and they can just observe, they check out. Mm -hmm. So how are we going to get them to participate even though they hesitate to do so? What are we going to do with the oppositional kid? These are my problems, actually, but I talk them through with the teacher because um, otherwise what you end up with are teachers who say during an IEP conference or during a parent conference of any sort, oh, well, yes, he or she gets speech. Lorraine comes in on Wednesday mornings. Right. And you get this feeling that the teacher has taken the responsibility of the language issues related to literacy and put them squarely on my shoulders as if in that 30 minutes on a Wednesday morning, I can fix this. Mm-hmm. And clearly I can't. So they're almost demo lessons, even though, of course, they're therapeutic, but it's to show the teacher, these are things you can do. And then we talk in a follow-up, how'd you think that went? And I know people are probably listening right now and saying, well, if you do that with every grade level, you know, I'm going to be nuts. I don't have time for all these meetings. And I will say that in a school of kindergarten through fifth, kindergarten through sixth, the primary emphasis here on this is K-1 or preschool K. And so um, as we start to add some print literacy over it, sometimes I tend to do it in some of their pull-out therapies where we'll write out the story after they have some reading skills. But in this very beginning developmental kind of levels, I want to involve the teacher, and it's usually the earlier grades. So you're not doing it with every teacher in the building. So let's say that you have a child that comes in and is already IEP'd, okay, a language kid. So obviously, you're going to go into that kindergarten class. Are you also doing the story and pull out? Are you doing the story in both places for that IEP kid? Yes. Okay. I may or may not, but probably. Okay. Um, and I'll tell you, so that's part of this teacher planning. And I take, I really take the bull by the horns in the teacher planning because <laughs> I'll just go in and say, what do you think of this? And I, nine times out of 10, nine times out of 10, the teacher's going to go, that sounds great. Um, so it's hard to just pick one of these levels and go with it because you know I'm going to have kids across the board. So I'll, right. the opposite, I'll say, let's not do this with the book. Johnny is so oppositional to everything, including sit on the floor and look up here. Let's give him a choice. Because, you know, the more choices we give kids, sometimes the more they're willing to participate in something. So I've got three different things that look like a wolf. Let's see if he picks which one he picks. And in my um, larger workshop on this, I present probably a hundred different ways you can convert toilet bowl brushes, wooden spoons, and then more traditional puppetry into storytelling, how to turn fly swatters into pigs. <laughs> um, so kids are pretty motivated. If you give them a choice, do you want, you know, I always joke that I know the behavior disorder kid because they always pick the fly swatter, you know, that you can poke in people's eyes. And, yeah. <laughs> but um, typically, if they know that 
the thing they've chosen could in fact get taken away. And then I don't say you're in time out. I say, oh, you must want to be part of the audience because that it's just a different role you're playing. Um, it tends to um, kind of deflate all of that opposition. But typically the kid wants to do it. They want to play the part. So I might start out with that. So maybe our goal is our goal sequencing is our goal. Um, what's the problem and problem solving? You know, I don't know. Are we going to emphasize a certain sound while we do the storytelling? Sometimes, Shar, I'll actually say to the teacher, let's start with the book. Let's teach the song that's going to go with this. And what I usually do is um, at my website, I do have to say that I have a lot of these already already done. I have about uh, at least a dozen children's stories that already have the scripts and the songs, but those are at a cost. Otherwise, there's a lot of free downloads, but um, people can go and look at that. I take music that's in the public domain, like Are You Sleeping, Are You Sleeping, Brother John? And I take that music and I decide what are the key pieces of this story? What are the key concepts? Mm -hmm. And I emphasize that. So like the book Lunch, where a little mouse goes looking for food, the emphasis is the vocabulary for that food and descriptors for that food. So um, that lends itself to the level of who, what, who's eating, what are they eating, what color is it? Later on, just yet answer yes or no. Is it crunchy? Is it wet? So I can go up and down the developmental levels all within one story. The important part to capture for the story are the visuals clear. I'll give you an example of unclear visuals, although I love his books. Richard Scarry. Yes. If you take a child with... A, a language difference. Many times you show them a book with too many busy things in it. You're not sure they're focusing on the right thing. So I'm saying, oh, look, the mouse is eating a strawberry. But on that page, and it's a beautiful picture, is a little bug sitting up on a leaf of the tree looking down at the mouse. The whole time I'm saying mouse eating, eating strawberry, the mouse is eating a strawberry, yum. The kid is looking at the bug. And so it doesn't match. And so that begins to be a struggle. Yeah, it doesn't fit. So I might start with the book, starting with that simple chant. You know, in the three Billy Goats gruff, we sing, who's walking on my bridge? Who's walking on my bridge? Hi-ho, the Dario, who's walking on my bridge? And so that answers a who question. But in that same story, the troll jumps up and says, where are you going? And then we sing, I'm going to eat you up. I'm going to eat you up. So every time we tell the story, whether I choose puppets, whether I choose um, a felt board, whether I choose, you know, a high-tech smart board, whether I choose the book, whether I've taken that book apart, I'll color copy page all the pages and laminate them because some kids, if you can get through it faster and it doesn't look like a book, they'll stay with you. Mm. The minute you open a book, they've had so many negative book experiences that they tune out and, you know, they're taking the shoelace out of the shoe of the kid next to them. <laughs> right. So 
um, or they're laying down and, you know, the teacher's saying so-and-so sit up. So when I'm planning with the teacher, I may tell that teacher, hey, over the course of this week, when I come in Wednesday, we're going to do it this way with puppets. But before we do it that way, I'm going to come in and really quickly, we're going to go through the book and we're just going to sing the story. And then when they see it with the puppets, the audience people that, I mean, everyone can't be a character in the story. The audience people can sing uh, the song. It will start to be familiar. Um, Then I may say to the teacher, there are two other books because in literacy programs, you know, teachers will say, I don't have time for this because we have to teach 90 minutes of uninterrupted reading at the child's ability level. Well, if you look in the teacher's manual, that direct instruction takes about 30 minutes. And then there's another 60 minutes that's really up to the teacher based on what's in the manual. And some of that's recommendations of trade books. Trade books are, you can go to Barnes and Noble and buy them. They're not a textbook. Uh, Trade books, a lot of them at that level lend themselves to storytelling. So sometimes um, the vocabulary or the concept of sequence or who, what, and where might lend itself to one of their trade books. And I'll say, you know, one of them you could do this with. Another format I've used is taking photos of all the pages and quickly going through it in a slideshow. And so after I've I used some presentations that best fit that primary focus, I just advise that can the teacher retell the story? Another good thing to do is um, I get a hold of the librarian mm-hmm. and I say, give me every version of, you know, some of the old classics have been done over and over and over. And I'll say, give me every version of the three pigs that you've got. Um, And in my old age, I've probably got every version of the three pigs. But what we do is I show them how illustrators, do you think the wolf is scarier in this book or in this book? (laughs) Do you think which pig, do you like these houses or the houses in this book? I show them and I show them that they can have different endings. In some of the endings, the wolf goes down the chimney and burns its tail. Ah. And in some of them, he's actually cooked in the pot. And so we talk about how there's different versions and we start to get those literacy concepts in early but I'll have the teacher show them different illustrations of the same story. Just because the picture changes doesn't mean the story changed. Hmm. It's still the same. I'll use multiple authors, illustrators, different formats for the story. Um, and I don't, in a preschool classroom, I don't hold to one week. The more familiar the story gets, the more fun the kids have with it. So now we get into this pullout piece, Char, that you were asking about. So as they become familiar, I'll have a day where I'll take children working on various language concepts and I'll say, it's your turn to come with me in the room next door and we're going to do the little red hen. And they're all excited, you know, and they come and they do it with me. Lorraine, let's get really specific. Okay, let's say that you have um, a kindergarten and you know, you have a whole range of abilities there. You know, do you pick a story that's kind of in the middle? Um, do you pick one that you think would be 
um, fascinating to the children so that you can maintain their attention and so on, their focus. How do you pick a story? And from there, pick a story. And then what do you do to prepare? Do you go through, do you retype the story, pick out some vocabulary, pick out some, uh, you know, grammar things so that you could be sure and, and point those out? Do you say, oh, this is something that we could use for movement or we could use particular um, uh, manipulatives? You know, how do you do it? So if I were in the schools right now and I wanted to go into kindergarten, tell me what I need to do. Okay, so uh, I think um, the first thing I want to say is when I'm going to choose a book, and I will get specific here, I'm going to go with the three bears. Um, Okay. Do certain children's books work better than others? I mean, that's a question I get frequently. And uh, my answer is yes. Um, Children's classics don't become children's classics for no reason at all. And whether it's your old classics like The Three Bears or whether it's a newer classic like uh, The Very Hungry Caterpillar or even newer, the Pete the Cat series, um, they all have some central things in common. Hmm. They're all usually highly repetitive. They're highly predictable. You know, I know our kids can't always predict, but in a typical kindergarten classroom with some language different kids, a lot of kids, that's what makes it funny. Or that's what makes it, oh, here, here she comes. She drank baby bear's porridge. Now she's going to try to sit in that small chair. It's going to break. I mean, they almost know it. And when the bears come home, they can almost predict that they're going to find her because it also is very comfortable sequentially or the story revolves around just a few events. And the pictures clearly illustrate those main ideas of the story. So I don't choose books unless they meet those criteria. Ah, good to know. Because I've already got kids, I've already got kids struggling. Um, And so I want to make sure that they are what we know captivate children and, and make them classic pieces of literature. So I, so of course I look through the book. I develop a huge library of children's books. I'm not going, and I I mean in my head, I don't necessarily own them all because all books don't lend themselves to the same things in terms of what you want to work on. So let's say we've chosen the three bears and I say, well, did we choose it for the concept of size? Small, medium, large, right? little, big, middle size, however we want to present that. Um, because then you have the bears are the different sizes, the bulls, the beds, the, we have lots of opportunities within that story, Mm -hmm. repeating over and over those concepts of small and large or, and I'll use that interchangeably. So that's a second thing I'll say, you know, we probably want for the various levels of kids in the room to do big and little, but also small and large. And medium and middle size. Um, and 
And then it may be that the letter of the week, because they have a lot of that, is a B. Now, in preschool, are we going to be teaching B says ba? Not in the way we would in kindergarten, where we actually want them to know sound symbol and certainly all of them by mid-kindergarten. But we can play with sound. And so the B, of course, you're going to hear the bowls and the beds and the bear. And so we may put that into the story. So I say, once upon a time, there were three bears. <gasps> ba, 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 bear. Bear starts with the letter B. B says ba, 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 bear. Now, I don't want to interject too much of that in the story or you, use the, you lose the storyline to this distracting thing. But you can put some of that in. So now you have your emphasizing a certain sound and having the kids just play with that sound. You're emphasizing um, sizes, that conceptual vocabulary. And it could be that we're going to emphasize a sequence. So you don't eat from the big size bowl till you've eaten from the little size bowl. They go in a certain order from little to big, left to right. I'm, I'm big on that in storytelling, moving left to right, because it's, it's the way you read. It's the way things are set up. So then I say, gee, and this takes time. You're not going to be able as a first-year therapist to go into a kindergarten and have songs for a million things. So even if you just go in and tell the story using props or puppets or the book, you don't have to have a song for everything. But I will take, and I'll go, okay, so Papa Bear was a big size bear. And some, and I'll come up with, I have maybe 15 different songs from the public domain. So one little, two little, three little, and Papa Bear was a big size bear. Ooh, that'll work. And I match them up, or I make up my own tune, or I chant. So let's say I hadn't made up Papa Bear was a big size bear, Mama Bear was a middle size bear, Baby Bear was a little size bear, and they lived in a house made of bricks, 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 and in that house were three balls. Papa Bear had a big size ball. Let's say I can't think of a song. Then I would probably do something like Papa Bear was a big size bear, Mama Bear. Bear was a middle-sized bear. And I give it some extra rhythm and chant. If we think about language, different kids, many of them did not babble. They did not play with language in the way other children did. And so it gives them an opportunity at the age of four or five to do something fun that involves rhythm and language that isn't insulting. Mm -hmm. That's more age-appropriate babbling in some ways or jargoning. Right. Um, and even our children who are apraxic, who don't have clear, clear speech, articulation disorders, phonological disorders that are fairly severe, mm -hmm. they will go along with the, uh, 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 you know, and um, sure. what we don't want to do is say, you don't talk clear enough. You don't have enough vocabulary to participate 
So now we're going to delay your receptive processing skills too. Um, so it's, how do we give kids various ways to participate? So I've chosen a story. I've chosen some targets for that story. The teacher and I have talked. Um, maybe we've um, looked at various ways over the course of the week that she can use the concepts in the classroom. Um, I kind of leave that up to the teacher, but I stress in, um, I do little spotlights at teacher meetings and I'll say, I'll, I'll ask the principal for five minutes, mm -hmm. 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And I'll say to the teachers, here's an article I just read. And they know it's only going to be a few minutes. So they don't say, oh God, Lorraine's talking again about some boring. I'm going to leave this in the staff lounge if people want to look at it, but it talks about how many times we need to emphasize vocabulary in meaningful ways throughout the week for it to be robust and strong and for children to actually learn the vocabulary with its various nuances. And so teachers as a whole know I believe in this stuff. Um, I, you know, I'm a person, obviously, that doesn't mind talking in front of groups. So it isn't that when I meet with these teachers, they've never heard me you know, I'll say for continuing ed units, I'm going to do a class on robust vocabulary development. So they know in my storytelling that there's going to be some vocabulary that I hope they will teach too, because me doing it on Wednesday morning alone is not going to cut it. Me doing it Wednesday morning and Thursday afternoon in therapy, a pullout therapy isn't going to cut it. Um, it needs to be every day. And how are they going to do that? Right. So that, that lends credibility to you and what you're doing, but also gives them, you know, data, information that they can use in their classroom. So what is the answer to that? How many, you were talking about vocabulary, how many repetitions? Oh, see, now you're, now you're quizzing me. <laughs> I mean, it is something like, uh, it, it's like ridiculous. I mean, it's like, you're kidding me. But here's the more important thing for teachers to understand. Children only learn one out of every 10 words or the meaning through context. And then they only learn it in a very narrow way. So when we say learning vocabulary through context, you know, and learning vocabulary just by reading and taking a guess at what it means, that does not that doesn't even work well for your typically developing child to really understand the full meaning of a vocabulary word. It takes a lot more than that and for the teacher to use vocabulary, for the teacher to be using it. Mm -hmm. So the teacher picks up two pencils and says, let me get a pencil. Ooh, I have a small one and a large one. I think I'll use the, or a, I think I'll use the long one. I guess long and short would be the concept there. Uh, I think I'll use the long one today. And now that's another way that a particular thing is um, pointed out to the students. But that takes a teacher who can plan well. Mm -hmm. And I always say word walls are really not used because they stick the words up there and then nobody uses it. But a good plan, a good planned word wall actually has teachers putting those words up there. So they look and they remember what they're supposed to be using for the week. Good. That whole repetitive piece is huge. And you are planting seeds when you come in and you do the story because you have prepared. You're not just reading a story. You have prepared. And 
extracted the different targets and so on. And I love it that you are talking with that teacher and you're sharing with the teacher so that in literally you are doing lesson planning for them. <laughs> you're saying, here are concepts to repeat and emphasize throughout your week or weeks to come. You know, I think that that's a really important idea there that you bring up because there's a big difference between people will say, well, how do you take data when these kids are running all over the room and you're trying to, you know, manage them as characters or they're, they're watching you with props and you're asking questions and how do you track? And I say to them, what the teacher does and what I do for storytelling is a strategy. Strategies aren't what we write in our IEP goals. So when I'm originally looking at the Three Bears book, I'm saying, what's on their IEPs? What am I supposed to be teaching, achieving? What outcome do I want? Oh, look, WH questions. I guess the Three Bears book lends itself well to WH questions. That's what we'll do. And so when I'm telling the story, you know, we're emphasizing whose bowl is that? Who came to the house? Whose bed is she? Where is she at? Um, if I'm teaching a social skill, we might be talking about degrees of being upset. How upset is Papa Bear now when he first just sees the bowls? How upset is he when he sees the chair broken? And um, then that may lend itself. So taking data, I don't take data during the storytelling. No, you're, you're working with kids. Yeah. I am saying, here's the IEP goal. I'm incorporating it into this strategy. Here are the IEP goals. The teacher is incorporating it into other strategies throughout the week. Mm -hmm. So the oppositional kid, maybe his IEP goal is that he understands degrees of so, and when I say that, what I mean is like, in there's a book called Zones of Regulation Yes, that teach about emotional regulation um, on a scale, a color-coded scale. Um, there's also the five-point scale that we might be working on with kids, getting them to recognize emotion. Can that student, after we've pointed that out with Papa Bear, is that student any better at that when I do do assessment of that IEP goal? Are they any better at that, especially if I remind them about Papa Bear and then go to, now, how did you feel today on the playground? And I'm assessing whether that child can better have taken, because sometimes children can assess the character in a book and their emotions better than their own, of course. So another day I might have a child where it's a data day and I'm asking who and what questions. And if they're doing better in terms of their IEP goal, I will assume that the strategy of storytelling is working. So storytelling is a strategy. The IEP goal is the actual, this is the outcome I want from that strategy. I thought that was important to talk about because people try to take data at times that it, this does not lend itself to. So... No, you're focused on the kids is what you're doing. So you just briefly touched upon it. And I know that you said that you wanted to come back to it. Talk to me about social skills and storytelling and so on. Yes. 
almost all of the classics or good pieces of children's literature have some social factors that are built in. So it might be a problem. Almost all of them are a problem that has to be solved. Um, a lot of times the characters have to agree on a plan. Um, many times in a children's story, the feelings that the character has are driving the action. And I know a lot of the speech pathologists that are listening right now have heard of things like Mind Wing has what they call the Brady doll. Mm -hmm. It's used for storytelling and it has standard narrative structure, but it also is very important for visually representing how do they feel with a heart and what was the plan that they had as a result and does it work? Mm -hmm. And it's very good for children who have issues with theory of mind. Now, having said all that, oh, and I do at my website, a free downloadable are some narrative structure visuals that you can use with children. Um, and they really work well first through like third grade. And I have a sheet that talks about how to use them. And you can also, I have a sheet on there with the visuals. So when they go to start writing stories, they, they use what I call the macro structure, the story grammar, like um, who are the characters? What's the setting? What's the initiating event and the feelings and the plan that they have and how do, how, how do they feel all along the way? Does it change their plan? And how does it all get tied up in the end? Um, and that's that same, uh, the Brady doll from Mind Wing has those same kind of concepts, except I've just put it on, on pieces of paper that are um, easier to manage. Okay, so about um, most children's literature deals with those issues. And changing one's mind, that you can change one's mind, it'll have a different outcome. But when they have looked at uh, preschool teachers and observed them reading to children, only about 17% of the time do the teachers even mention or emphasize any of those social skill components. Wow, 17%. Mm -hmm. So it's a big opportunity missed, but how would teachers know that? Necessarily. I mean, I think about their training in literacy isn't about social skills. We're, we as speech pathologists think, how could you miss that? But that's because we're, we're only thinking about verbal and nonverbal communication. I think the magic many times is when you pair teachers with great literacy backgrounds with speech pathologists with good oral language understanding. Yes. And you put the two together, you, you come up with this combination that really works well. And so in the, um, you know, if I go back to the three bears, I, I can't emphasize everything, but you could emphasize different things the various times you tell the story. I love it. I absolutely love it, Lorraine. You are amazing. I love all those great information and insights that you have about Oh, working with the kids and the stories and, and so on. And I, in fact, Lorraine, I may have to have you back because you know, I have a few questions about adding the movement piece and all of that and the print and all of that. So I may have to have you back. Yeah, it's hard to do this in one hour, but, um, you know, the three-hour storytelling workshop 
through Speech Therapy PD. I mean, it's the most visual. I've got teachers doing this every kind of story and singing every kind of song. It's a very fun uh, workshop to watch. And I'd be happy to come back and talk about some of this. Okay, sounds good. You're on, girl, you're on. Well, I do have one last question, and I'm, I'll probably give you maybe a minute <laughs> to right. answer it. And here is the question. Share your favorite therapy insight or a nugget. Okay. Um, I have a nephew who, um, when he was about two or getting close to three, was out on a walk with my brother. Mm -hmm. And this story, when my brother tells it to me, gave me huge insights that I then talk about clarity of pictures and clarity of what we're talking about. Now, this is a typically developing kid. Okay. He's out walking and he says to my brother, this is nice neighborhood. My brother's thinking, I got a gifted kid. You know, he's not even three and he talks about neighborhoods and he's so observant. Mm -hmm. And he gets home and he had a new coat on. And my brother goes to take his coat off and he starts screaming, no, 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 take my neighborhood. Oh, and he had been watching Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And in Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, you know, there's all that stuff as he's talking about, would you be my neighbor, that um, he, he's taking his coat off, whatever, putting his sweater on. Yeah. And Chris had focused on that and thought the word neighbor or neighborhood was related to this thing that Mr. Rogers is wearing. Oh. And so he, he, this is nice neighborhood. It was his new coat. He really liked it. <laughs> and it, Ray tells that to me and we're laughing and I get off the phone and I think, no, that's our kids all the time. Yeah. We really have to make sure they're looking at the right thing that we, that we're not just blah, 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 where they can't pick out the core important piece um, and how important that is. To, to, to make sure we have clear emphasis of the targets. And then we do the motheries of building up and breaking down and building up and breaking down. And that was a huge aha moment for me. And I probably tell that in every workshop. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. Well, Lorraine, you know, our time is up here, but oh my gosh, I have learned so much and I just want to run out and, you know, grab a book and a bunch of kids and, and do a story time. So you have inspired me. Thank you so much. I hope to see you again. Take care. Thank you. And I was glad to be here and thank you to everyone who's listening. And I hope they have a great time with storytelling. Uh, I'm sure they will. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, Busy SLP, Char Beauchart here. Here's a tip from me to you. Every week, become a lot more informed. Sign up for Therapy Matters at charbochart.com. It's free. Learn our tech and language tips and techniques and tons of ideas for making your school therapy life easier and more effective. I've been a therapist for 30 plus years and I love to share what I've learned. Sign up for Therapy Matters, read it or listen to it at charbochart.com. You'll be glad you did because the therapy that you do matters. Sign up now. Thank you for listening to the speech link. Please check out my other offerings at my website, charvoshart.com, and also speechtherapypd.com. See you next time for more interviews, information, and insights. Until then, 
Thank you so much for all that you do with your speech kids. Be well and God bless. 